wake up and you don't have anything planned for your day, it's completely open, what are you naturally gravitating towards doing? If there is no rules, no expectations on you from any third party, we all gravitate towards something naturally that is our innate passion and that is something you enjoy doing that's not going to feel like work. And in this vegan world that we're creating, we can make our own jobs. Hi, and welcome to episode six of the Vegan Women Collective podcast. I'm your host, Rachel LaMarche, and I'm a co-founder of the Vegan Women Collective, an organization that highlights and supports the activism and entrepreneurship of vegan women through panels, workshops, and this hopefully interesting and inspiring podcast. For this episode, I met with Lucy Stegley, co-founder of the registered charity Doctors for Nutrition, who is also the founder of Raw Events Australia. Lucy was in New Zealand hosting the premiere of the Michelle Siwerski documentary Diet Fiction following the first Australasian Nutrition and Healthcare Conference that took place here in Melbourne a few weeks ago in February of 2019. The conference brought together international experts in the fields of nutrition and medicine and I think it's important to note that the conference was sold out and that the charity has incredible plans ahead including a government-endorsed pilot which Lucy and I discussed during our chat. Lucy is originally from the Mornington Peninsula outside of Melbourne and that happens to be where we are running our next event for which Lucy has graciously accepted to be one of the panelists alongside two other incredible vegan entrepreneurs, uh, Rebecca Etheridge, owner of Wombat Cafe and Store and Bianca Millar from online retailer A Good Scout. Um, that's happening on the evening of Wednesday, March 20th at the vegan institution that is Wombat Cafe in Germana. For tickets, you can head to either our website, which is www.veganwomencollective.com, or you can click the link in our Instagram bio, at veganwomencollective. And now, before we start, I'd also like to give a shout to those of you that listen to the podcast and tag us on Instagram in your photos or your stories. The podcast really is a work of love, and I'm always so happy to see who is listening and where from. Now, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's start the show. Welcome, Lucy, to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Um, if you could just tell me a little bit about your journey into veganism, just to kind of start this interview. I grew up on a beef cattle farm and a horse stud. So this is a property that um, grows cattle, uh, fattens them up and sells them off to market. It just sounds completely creepy in hindsight, uh, what my family um, did for the majority of my life. And with the horses part of the farm, this is uh, raising um, baby horses, foals, and, and breeding them on the property so they can be trained uh, up to go into the horse racing industry, thoroughbred horse racing. So, I mean, it was seemingly idyllic a place to grow up. Uh, on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria, Australia. For anyone listening internationally or who doesn't know the area, that is about one hour from um, the capital of Victoria, Melbourne, a beautiful part of the world. And 
Yeah, this was me loving animals, not making that connection until one day I walked into one of our uh, big sheds and there was a cow actually hanging up inside the shed from the roof. And that was, I look, I didn't as a child fully make the connection and go vegan that day. I didn't even know what vegetarian was. Uh, but I have a feeling like everything goes back to this moment for me where um, I made that at least subtle connection of the animals being killed on our property or, or sent off to slaughter. So yes, it went on and on until uh, I was about 16 and my kind of pivotal moment in really evaluating my diet in general was going on a student exchange program to Germany. So this is uh, where um, you stay with the host family and you have to eat what they put on the table for you. And as lovely as they were, this particular host family were massive meat eaters and all sorts of strange meat that I've never seen before, like reindeer and weird kinds of ham. And this was not, not sitting well with me. And from this time, I became pescatarian and then just read books, watched documentaries, totally absorbed heaps of information on nutrition and diet. And yeah, it took a number of years to become fully vegan after that. So about 2010 um, was when I stopped eating all animal products. If we were face to face, you would have seen my, my reactions, but that must be so difficult to grow up on a cattle farm and then at some point making the realization of everything that was happening. So is your family still involved in the raising of the horses and the cattle? Uh, no, th thankfully it has been about 15 years since the the farm was wound down on the animal agriculture side of things we just got wildlife now which is nice <laughs> oh, that's nice and so um when in your journey um and becoming vegan did you decide actually this is so important to me that i want to make it not necessarily my life's work but i want to work within the vegan movement or find a way to spread the vegan message Probably when I realized a bit more of the behind the scenes and the industry side of things in uh, year 12 at high school, I did, oh, it was year 11 actually, I did uh, year 12 subject in year 11 and it was um, media and I chose to make a documentary called Paddock to Plate. I wasn't even vegetarian at this stage. So I was having a bit of cognitive dissonance in hindsight, but I, I was kind of making a vegan film where I followed the life cycle to the best of my ability and access to such things of a cow getting born and raised and then taken to the, the sale market and yeah, then getting taken away to be to be killed. And yeah, just the process of being in all those environments, they actually wouldn't let me into a slaughterhouse. So I never got that footage. But um I got into the back of a Um, transport vehicle like an open uh, trade truck as the cattle all came on after being sold at the market yeah just kind of being so up close to to those animals on their first part of their journey to the slaughterhouse I think I felt like their story needs to be told and I always loved food and was just passionate about nutrition so those those two things came together and I ended up studying media at university and kind of yeah I've been marrying that interest um ever since i guess it must have been really heartbreaking for you as a as a teenager despite the fact that you saw everything that was going on and so once you studied media my understanding was that you decided to run the rmit real foods cafe is that correct 
Well, I was a student of um, media studies at RMIT and um, it was oh, maybe a decade later that I, I got the job, actually. It was um, a regular application process uh, to apply for the role of the cafe manager at the RMIT Student Union. And for a number of years prior, they had been operating a food co-op. It was called Organicy, which is like the coolest name ever. They were kind of um, a little bit like ramshackle and more so like a whole food store. You could come in and get you know, some bulk nuts and seeds and things like that. These types of places have existed at universities probably since the 70s and beyond. Um, Monash University has one. Uh, Melbourne University has one, at least that I know of. And there's, there's a few around the world. But we were kind of tasked with the a slight overhaul of the cafeteria area and giving it a new name, Real Foods, and um, really just sticking to working with a team of student volunteers to, to serve meals um, predominantly during lunchtime in the university semesters. So, yeah, I did that for five years and the cafe is still there and going strong. So that's that's awesome. Was it already an all vegan cafe when you arrived or did you were you kind of instrumental in the fact that it became all vegan? This is a good question. Well, to in in uh, gratitude to the university and student union when they were negotiating this space with their landlords, RMIT University, they have had it in writing in the lease that it had to be at a bare minimum vegetarian. Uh, because over the years, as different student union representatives came through, they like wanted to turn it into a pub or you know to serve meat or whatever. But at least that was sort of protected. Do you have a minimum vegetarian requirement? That's wonderful. Yeah, I just I did personally for the five years I was there, um, four and a half years or so, uh, have it 100% vegan. And so, um, when when did you do the switch from working at Real Foods to launching your own events planning business, which is Raw Events Australia? Well, we had been every semester running events um, at RMIT University through the cafe Real Foods and just hosting some of the most amazing people from vegan bodybuilders to dietitians to movie nights and chefs and pretty much everything from hands-on classes to, to more lectures. And we were really, I guess, seeing the huge interest in people wanting to really come out in person to these live event experiences. And we had such a wonderful group of student volunteers helping to make this happen. And, and they loved being part of those in the flesh events. So yeah, I could definitely see the potential in that. I already was doing some events on the side. So in 2010, my first event through Raw Events Australia was hosting David Wolf, if you know this superfoods expert from yeah. America. He was like massive at the time and it was a big deal to be able to host his Melbourne leg of his Australian tour. And that was at RMIT before I worked there, actually. We hired one of their, their theatres, um, myself and uh, another lady who was taking him around the country. And gosh, we, we might have got a 400 people or something at that. And, wow. and the, ne the next year he came out again and we hired Story Hall, the massive, amazing lecture theater there at RMIT. And it was like 600 people. So, yeah, we, we started on a high, actually. That's <laughs> and, great. Uh, yeah, after that, we just kept on hosting different people, uh, either through the university directly or, or on the side. And once I was offered a redundancy to 
step aside from the Real Foods Cafe as they needed to renovate that entire part of the university and the space was going to be closed for about a year, I had yeah, the opportunity to think about what next and just, yeah, kept on doing the events thing. You know, we had the luxury of RMIT and all of those spaces while I was working at Real Foods. So um, I have to say that perhaps the least favorite part of my job is sourcing the venues. <laughs> for That's uh, hard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's so many boxes to tick and you know, access and space and style. and. Um, well, so would you say that in a way because you were working at Real Foods in that time it's also kind of provided you with the security to build a big network so that you felt really safe once you were just like I'm gonna take the plunge and actually do this full-time? Absolutely I mean I had the contacts of the students and the speakers already over the years and kind of had a good understanding by at least halfway through running Real Foods of how vital uh, bringing in and supporting volunteers um, is to a successful event and making sure you give people the ownership and and feeling like they can really contribute to the success of a night or, or an event of some kind. So that I think I wouldn't have really had the insight into if it wasn't for already running a social enterprise um, and volunteer-based cafe so that was quite priceless and yeah we just built some amazing networks but also at this time already Facebook groups and I guess there was meetup groups even then were taking off so I was um, regularly attending those kind of things off the university campus and staying in the loop and just making sure that if ever any high-profile plant-based expert was in town, that would be the ones to be able to host them. That's wonderful. So how long have you been running uh, Raw Events Australia now? So we're in the ninth year of Raw Events Australia. And in the last two years, however, I have done a branch off um, Raw Events as we had been really seeing the interest in hearing this plant-based health message from medical doctors and registered dietitians and qualified health professionals. This area was growing a lot and we could see the potential for it to reach out to um, as yet untapped audiences who are perhaps a bit more particular about who they trust and who they would like to receive their information from. So it was about, yeah, actually probably more like three or four years ago that the genesis of the idea to also create a registered charity for the promotion of the specifically nutrition side of the message came into consciousness. And uh, yeah, I could tell you a bit about that, but um, it's now officially registered and it's called Doctors for Nutrition. Yay, yes, I know. Um, (laughs) You're just fresh off running the first Australasian Australasian Nutrition in Healthcare Conference yes. 2019. <laughs> that was huge and that was sold out. Is that correct? Yes, we are so thrilled. A couple of days before the start of the conference, which is the charity's very first um, major event, um, we, we did sell out and yeah, we sold about 50 more tickets than we were hoping for, but we shuffled the tables around and we, we made people fit. And hopefully it wasn't um, too too squishy in there. <laughs> People seem to still have plenty of room to move and socialize. So we're, we're glad we made some more room um, and the interest blew us away. But yeah, we, we know there is such an appetite for 
this information both from the general public and other healthcare professionals. And so is it ultimately considered, because from my perspective, when I was looking at it, looking at the website and just uh, researching the event, it seemed to me really like a specialist conference where uh, you have doctors from everywhere just coming together and basically the same as a conference that would be in any academic domain. Was there a specific reason why you you wanted it to have such a academic look instead of being kind of an industry event? Yes. So the co-founder of the Doctors for Nutrition charity and I, and um, her name is Dr. Helene Rooks, and she's based in Adelaide and, and our small team of amazing, amazing people, um, all women who are highly responsible for bringing this conference to, to life alongside myself and Helene. Uh, we really wanted to pitch this with a foundation of evidence-based information. So we decided early on that we would be having only speakers who were qualified as dietitians or medical doctors of some kind, plus some patient case studies, because that's really important to hear from people who have utilized plant-based nutrition to recover from certain conditions. In our past events, we've had great feedback from predominantly doctors on that aspect of the event program that we have always incorporated because at traditional medical conferences you barely hear from the patients certainly not live speaking about their experiences and I think that's really powerful to to hear that journey that a real emotional connection that you can get with someone who's struggled through many doors closing in their faces and continue to search for the information that's going to be applied and well and works for them to um, bring their health back so uh yeah we definitely deliberately decided to keep this at a slightly academic level but we didn't want to alienate the general public either so it's really hard actually to pitch something that both appeals to already qualified medical professionals as well as the interested general public in year one we definitely kept it like at the 101 level um, and made sure we, we laid the foundations of the information so that we can build to more specialized content in future years that's fantastic you had incredible speakers you had Neil Barnard who's one of the in my opinion one of the founders in a way of of the of the nutritional vegan message or plant-based message I feel like uh, he's written a few books that were quite cutting edge when they were released and he's quite instrumental in disseminating the vegan message kind of within the United States and there's a lot of other doctors like how was it difficult to get all of these incredible experts in the same place at the same time <laughs> well, we definitely, I'd say, oh, at least two years had been chipping away um, to get Dr. Neil Barnard from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in DC to to be able to carve out some time in his hugely busy calendar to to come out to Australia and go by New Zealand on the way home and and speak there too. And we're so thrilled. We couldn't have th thought of a better person to kick off our charity and our, our mission here in Australia than someone who's been doing this for over 30 years and runs a very similar not-for-profit in America that we look up to greatly. And the, the other speaker from North America that we're so pleased we could attract was Dr. Scott Stoll, who is one of the co-founders of the Plantrition Project, another not-for-profit organization who is also running conferences similar to ours in America and they've both been running their respective conferences for six years now. We've attended them, uh, we've been so heavily influenced by the types and quality of speakers that they've been using, the venues they've been using, 
I've definitely been very lucky to have walked amongst something that we could then put the Australian touch on and uh, make happen here in, in Melbourne this February 2019. So it was great to have a bit of a template to, to imagine what was possible. Because you've been running events for about nine years now, if not even more than that, how would you say that you've seen the, the vegan movement change? Wow, so much. So much. It's so exciting to see the pace of change in that time and how, I guess, more coordinated and more nuanced and uh, strategic, really, the, the vegan movement has become in that time. It's become so much more diversified with different people and organizations tackling like niche areas of vegan education and um, plant-based education from, you know, the animal sanctuary side to us at the other end with more the, the pure nutrition science side of things. And then, of course, there's um, organizations looking into the environmental impacts. Uh, it's it's awesome. Like there's no area left un, unaccounted for, I think, particularly in Australia. Um, we've just got such a really it's incredible, passionate um, community and everyone's doing a great job. And I just commend anybody um, working on this mission from whatever angle or particular passion that they have so we're all um accelerating the change together that's so it's uh, so great because see i'm not i'm not australians and i find it so interesting to gain the perspective of people that have seen how the waves changed i've only been in australia for six years and just looking at how even within those six years, I've seen it kind of explode exponentially. And so it's always really interesting for me to be able to gain that perspective as to how people have lived that changed firsthand and the growth of the movement. Do you see anything that's basically missing within the vegan space or maybe the advocacy space? Culinary schools that are training our chefs. Oh, um, Yeah are really behind the eight ball with um, building plant-based cuisine training into their curriculum. Oh, it's definitely. really selling our chefs short. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of people are just becoming self-taught in this area uh, to make up for, yeah, that lack of knowledge. So, um, yeah, curriculum and learning, um, both from a medical and health standpoint and pretty much every trade that is out there they can do with um some more awareness of uh, vegan lifestyles for sure that's true and that's so interesting because funnily enough um with the vegan women collective podcast despite the fact that veganism is you know generally understood as a dietary choice and then basically secondly a lifestyle that encompasses all of ways of consuming i guess or just general lifestyle values i haven't interviewed many people that have to do with nutrition except from um, Chinzia Kotalina and her daughter Lana from the Smoothie Bombs but it's just really interesting for me to kind of hear yeah that it's that is so true and for some reason it just hadn't crossed my mind recently how the yeah the the training the training around veganism is just lacking it's like people are becoming vegan experts in vegan specific fields within various areas obviously but kind of despite uh the curriculum it's like exactly. oh After i have that. to 
yeah, yeah, it's like I have to go through all of this and then I guess I'll have to go and find my own knowledge about this on the side as well because no one's going to give me that knowledge. So right. yes, sometimes you have to do a degree online from overseas in nutrition, for example, the T. Colin Campbell nutrition studies course through Econel, like a lot of our Australian contacts um, have gone and, and studied that because there's no Australian institution offering tertiary level plant-based specific nutrition course. So, you know, there's heaps of opportunity for education providers for people to start um, training colleges and courses here in the Southern Hemisphere that's not being met. So that's, that's exciting. So if you're an entrepreneur in that space or, you know, you've got a team that you could put together to um, create content, I think that would be, be awesome because the interest is there and there's so many people in high school and they're thinking about what career they want to do and yeah let's let's support them to become a part of our our movement definitely and I always really like to be to gain a little bit of insight around that because the whole the aim of the podcast is also to inspire people if they want to be entrepreneurs within the vegan space to feel like there is opportunity there and things that haven't been done so it's always really great to gain any kind of idea that other people are just like, I will not be the one to, to do this specific idea, but I think someone should do it because there's a need. So thank you for, for sharing. It's going to take all of us to kind of break the mold and um, get this on the radars of, of institutions. I and mean, we have a team of healthcare professionals that are our advisory council for the Doctors for Nutrition charity, and they're based all around Australia and New Zealand. And at one of our dietitians, he's doing his PhD on sports science and vegan diet. Uh, and, you know, that was brand new for, for his university to have someone tackle this. And there's definitely so much need for, for research to be done. I think that what you're doing really obviously has a huge impact and it's just going to continue to to grow and remain more and more impactful because people are self-centered, whether we like it or not. And because people are self-centered, they're going to think about things that affect them, affect them directly and the environment and their health. That's what affects them directly. So yes, it's um, a really um, easy starting point for people because most people care, yeah, care about trying to stay their healthiest and often looking for ways to do that. And yeah, that was how I ultimately got into it as well. This for health reasons and it didn't take long for all of the rest of the reasons to be vegan to settle into my my heart and soul and mind and that I think for the long term is what helps keep you on the path because otherwise if you treat it just like a passing phase of a diet um, and you haven't made the wider connection to all the other equally if not more so important reasons to adopt um, a plant-based vegan lifestyle in full then it's quite easy to be tricked into the next diet trend move on we definitely as much as doctors for nutrition exclusively focuses on the health message um we're so happy that there's other charities and people out there covering the rest because it's it's equally as important what is the best advice that you were ever given as an entrepreneur that someone gave you that drives what you do yeah, well, I was just actually helping a friend of mine um, figure out his next move with his career um, yesterday on the phone. And not that this is like a golden rule or anything, but it did help him. And I said, okay, so 
So you wake up and you don't have anything planned for your day. It's completely open. What are you naturally gravitating towards doing if there is no rules, no expectations on you from any third party? We all gravitate towards something naturally that is our innate passion. And that is something you enjoy doing that's not going to feel like work. And in this vegan world that we're creating, we can make our own jobs. And so there, there is no guidelines. It's really exciting. You can create the job of your dreams and you will trip and fail a thousand times and you know take a while to figure out the boundaries and the realistic aspects of what your job description involves but yeah these roles are needed they don't exist yet half the time so you can create a business a consulting service a product service like it's endless what you can do and you've all got amazing talents to to bring to life so I don't think there's a better time in history to to be alive as a vegan and, and contribute in a meaningful way that also is satisfying for your own own life journey. I hate working for the man. Like personally, I can't be told what to do. So I'm yeah. like an entrepreneur just by default. Some people yeah. don't mind guidance. I guess it's up to your personality type. If you feel like you're better suited to a structural environment in a, in a regular workplace and you just want to do your vegan thing on the side and you know, use a bit of the funds that you make in your day job for that. That's totally fine. And that's probably where we all need to start anyway, for a bit of security before we um, transition to our fully vegan dream job. <laughs> if I can do it with totally no training and just experiential learning along the way, then everyone is definitely capable of, yeah, doing what they love ultimately. Yeah. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Did you always know that you were going to work for yourself? I started my first job out of high school in what I thought was my dream job. I always wanted to be a diplomat. Um, not that I got there straight away, um, but I did work for the Australian government in the overseas posting. I was like the youngest person doing that. And I think like the the sheen of the idea of what you thought that might be like <laughs> was quickly dissolved. And it wasn't all that fancy after all. And there's a lot of hierarchy, which is totally not what I can conform to. And I just, my personality doesn't fit into that kind of structure. So I, yes, quickly abandoned the idea of working (laughs) in a diplomatic posting (laughs) overseas um, or, or for the Australian government. But, you know, it's funny. It's come back around. Like in the last month, we've had some really exciting and what will hopefully be um, game-changing meetings with with the government in terms of health policy and uh, yeah I think obviously there's a huge role to play with um, ensuring that we take our political leadership along for the vegan journey as well and Australia has a pretty strong foundation in this already through the Animal Justice Party and other individuals in politics. There's more vegans out there than you realise, actually, even in the Liberal Party. So we're um, we're finding out who our allies are all over the place and, and they're from all walks of life. But it's really good to know that you can have this common understanding with people no matter what career they're in. Vegetarian or, or veganism is your way to relate and I think that's what's also exciting about a career in this area is that you have mentors everywhere whether you've got you know some questions about the financial side and and, you know 
business planning or any of that um, or investment all the way to you know product sourcing and people on other side of the world would be totally willing and open to to share their advice with you so i would say don't don't hesitate to reach out to someone even if they seem like they're way further ahead in their careers than you i'm sure um, most of them would be really happy to help guide you um to try and get you where you want to go how would you say, because you, you you were saying that you've been able to meet with government representatives thanks to doctors for nutrition. So what are you trying to achieve through those meetings? Is it kind of incremental change in, in policies? And if so, what kind of change are you looking at? Well, it's early days um, and still in the sort of processes of parliamentary machine at the moment. But even before these meetings were thankfully set up, and it's happening much faster than we thought, uh, we had got our team together. Um, I've written a strategic plan for the first two to five years of the charity with our sort of goals and missions set up and set out and, and broken down into kind of manageable steps. And we all got together as a team of uh, these advisory council members I mentioned were from around Australia and New Zealand. And that was last November, so just like three, four months ago. And um, we had a team building weekend. A lot of us had never been in the same room before and we wanted to you know, generate that solidarity and, and shared purpose and connection with our team. And that was at a beautiful retreat center um, in Victoria, which I totally recommend anyone to visit if they're into health and, and need some time out to do some meditation or a health retreat. And that's the Gola Foundation. Uh, and they're pretty affordable for what they offer there. And it is a fully plant-based catered retreat center, which is very rare in the world. So I um, highly commend them for doing that. But as a team, we decided if we were to take a step into a campaign um, as our first way to reach out and try and make change as a charity beyond events, uh, what would we feel like we could really capture the public's imagination and interest for? And we came to decide that trying to make changes in the hospital food would be a great place to start for the charity everyone knows someone or has personally experienced really really terrible um beyond worse than plain food hospital food in their life <laughs> what an amazing idea uh, what a fantastic I idea oh, i don't know who fun. thought about that but that is one hell of a good idea well you know it doesn't matter if you're vegan or not We're, we all are pretty disappointed um you know, nine times out of ten with, with what we've served or a loved one has been served in hospitals. So this is the conversations that we're having um, with politicians about making some changes to that and more likely that it will start with a pilot project at a willing hospital or institution, whether that's a school or an aged care facility or you know, a private health um, clinic, something like that, just to show that it can be done, that it can be done cost effectively and tastefully. And obviously, you know, the kitchen staff need to be trained and it needs to become part of the daily operations of that institution. And uh, hopefully after a pilot is successful, then this would just be a no-brainer to roll out across the country. It's already been achieved in California that um, processed meats have been banned from hospitals. Is there a class one carcinogen? Yes. Yeah as recognized by the World Health Organization over two years ago now. And you would think the very day that came down as total fully agreed science that all hospitals would have instantly removed processed meats. But um, we are hanging on to our habits, even even in these 
supposed institutions of, of healing and health. So I guess um, there needs to be a little push and we're happy to be the ones to do it. <laughs> you think about brilliant ideas or just like the, the way to implement change, starting small, that, it, you know, it's, it's like within a controlled space. People are there and they're there to get better. It's just like, it's so smart. I just, I love this idea. How fantastic. Oh, well, thank you so much. And it <laughs> definitely um, you know, took this idea from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine who's been advocating in North America for the same things for many years. But I think now that we have their help as well, Dr. Neil Barnard is on our advisory council. Wonderful. Um, like some international doctors um, on that, even from the UK. And we've got partnerships all over the world um, with like-minded charities and not-for-profits who, yeah, we definitely aren't working in isolation here in Australia, but we have a lot of catching up to do. And yeah, there's just so much room for improvement in hospital food. It's just a a no-brainer to to start there, actually. So we're going to have our work cut out for us, (laughs) Um, but it's a great place to start because it will help the people that need it the most who are, yeah, in a state of illness of some kind and will benefit directly from getting some great nutrition into them at that time. What is your ultimate goal with Doctors for Nutrition? What is ideally, what do you want it to look like in like five, ten years? We would love to have plant-based nutrition education in every medical school curriculum um, so that doctors are graduating with this knowledge already as part of their toolkit. So we don't have to like backdate them with the information in events <laughs> um, after they've already graduated with often less than two hours of nutrition training in their entire medical degrees. Uh, unfortunately, even dietitians who are trained for at least four years um, don't have much content on plant-based diets in their curriculum either which is so strange um so you know there's a lot of work to do there so we just love people to be graduating with the knowledge um, and eventually phase ourselves out i think that's the goal of every vegan entrepreneur to no longer be needed but uh yeah just build the community make this an, an normal and accepted approach to healthcare, take nutrition out of the dark and yeah, make it a viable um, component to your appointment with the GP or whoever, um, whichever medical professional you're seeing. And then I guess me personally, I still have the farm um, and I'd like to see it as a place where people can perhaps come and live the lifestyle uh, at our conference in Melbourne this month, February 2019, we had an additional add-on day of seminars and two of those seminars were on workplace or immersion-based um, experiences for people to go somewhere and, and fully live the lifestyle for a weekend or a week. And I think this is really powerful. I've uh, deliberately gone to retreat centers myself um, every year for about the last 10 years because even a healthy living vegan can take their health to the next level by detoxing um, and resting and healing and meditation and walks in nature and all that I totally recommend it because uh, we're all living crazy busy lives and you know have this mission weighing on our shoulders 
and it's really important to take time for self-care and just like catching up on sleep and sunshine and all of that so perhaps yeah down the line uh, I could use um, this this property as a place for people to to come and experience that um, but yeah there's already plenty of places that exist uh, where, where people can look into to doing that and it's such a great start too because I think it's really hard to gradually transition for some people especially if they're in a workplace or a home environment where everybody else is not leading the, the best lifestyle habits it's really hard for you to get a running start on the changes you might want to make to your lifestyle and your diet take yourself out if it's getting on a plane and going to Thailand or <laughs> down the road in Victoria to the Gawler Foundation and living it for a few days you will just you'll notice the changes and it will inspire you to stick to it because it will be like a full immersion in in the change um, and you're doing it for you ultimately if if I can encourage people to put themselves first like it's your health it's your choices yeah try not to feel like pressured by by society to to stick to doing things a certain way well, that's great. Do you have any events that are coming up that you'd like to promote? I will say, um, so the Australasian Nutrition and Healthcare Conference, which had its first uh, foray into the world in 2019, and it's going to become an annual conference, at, yeah. least three, at least three-day conference. Wonderful. So, um, yeah, February 2020. Keep it on your radar. It's open to not just healthcare professionals, but anyone with an interest in nutrition and and lifestyle upgrades we'll have amazing speakers um the dates are soon to be released but if um your subscribers or listeners would be interested to stay in the loop they can go to doctorsfornutrition.org and and backslash subscribe um you can jump on the mailing list there and you'll be the first to get an invitation to upcoming events And that was Lucy Stegley from Doctors for Nutrition. As you can hear, there is still so many ways that we can help the vegan movement and so many stones left to turn. And there are great opportunities out there to get involved and make a difference. And I think that that's really inspirational. Again, if you'd like to hear Lucy in person and network with other like-minded women, our next event is on the evening of Wednesday 20th of March at Wombat Cafe and Store in Dramana. The tickets are on sale on our website at www.veganwomencollective.com or by following the link in our Instagram bio at veganwomencollective. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe to our show, rate us, and tell all of your vegan friends. For any comments or suggestions, including potential guests, both in Australia and abroad, please feel free to email us at hello at veganwomencollective.com. The Vegan Women Collective podcast is recorded, mixed, and produced by myself, Rachel LaMarche. I thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.